I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan, coming to you on a weirdly wet day in the high desert mountains of Utah. Today's guest is Twitch streamer, YouTuber, performer, professional tabletop role player, and all-around content creator, Mark Humes. Mark is the creator of the very successful Dungeons & Dragons Twitch show, High Rollers, and has had numerous guest spots as a, both a player and dungeon master on shows all over the internet, including Critical Role. Mark and I talk about his career, the state of role-playing when we grew up versus it, where it is today, building a positive interactive community, and managing players as a game master. Enjoy my conversation with Mark Humes. Hey, well, how have you been doing, man? Uh, good. Busy. Uh, I've had, uh, well, I mean, the world has been an interesting place, <laughs> as I'm sure everybody that you've spoken to has probably talked about. Right. Uh, the world's been an interesting place, but in, in the world of professionally playing Dungeons and Dragons on the internet and writing about Dungeons and Dragons, it's been pretty good. It's just been busy. <laughs> People right. like entertainment. So, uh, I've been, uh, under a lot of doing a lot of stuff, I think since, especially since the last time we spoke, cause I think we've, we've not had a chance to catch up in a good long time. So yeah, yeah. That's part of why I wanted to ask you on is just <laughs> to get to chat, man. Yeah. Well, that's um, the nice thing of being a podcast host, right? You just get to invite your friends and talk about all the cool, cool nerdy stuff that you like. So that's literally what I've been doing. <laughs> it's a good time. What, uh, do you think that kind of the pandemic and, and people generally being inside a lot more is causing kind of more demand for the kind of content you create? Oh yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. We mean, we saw it in our, you know, we look at our statistics and things like that. And, um, uh, you know, where lockdowns and people were being restricted at home, a hundred percent, we saw an increase in viewership, especially maybe not necessarily so much in like live viewers. Cause obviously we do our main show on Twitch and stuff like that, but especially in things like YouTube in podcast in Twitch, uh, VODs, the video on demands, um, massive increase because I think, uh, especially with live streaming Dungeons and Dragons, you know, it's a three hour game yeah. that you're then either doing live and people are watching live or people are watching on YouTube. And that's a lot of time. You know, that's not like a 20 minute video on YouTube of like uh, five things you missed in the Loki episode. <laughs> you know, it's not like a quick consumable thing. It's something you have to sit there and invest that time in. And so before the pandemic, I think that, you know, that's quite a struggle to ask for three hours of people's time. But then suddenly when people are sat at home working or they've got more time on their hands because they're not going out in the evenings, having that on while you're playing a video game or painting miniatures or doing whatever, you know, those are the kind of things I do. But I don't know what normal people would do with their three hours of their time, but that's what I would do. 
you know, it becomes much more viable that people can sit down and listen to it. So yeah, we saw a huge increase. And I think that across the board that a lot of shows and a lot of uh, people in this kind of hobby and also people playing D&D has, has gone up, you know, people finally kind of committing to playing, you know, with a bunch of friends, you know, across Zoom and getting into that regular kind of routine of having that social element, I think. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I didn't, I, I haven't gotten to join myself because I've been pretty busy. Uh, but, um, my, like my group of high school friends that I still keep in touch with mm. like a month into the pandemic, they just decided, Hey, why don't we start a D and D night? And they've been playing ever since. And whenever I get, I get time, I just jump on their zoom and I watch them play. And That's it's really awesome. fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's but so I good. imagine tons of people have had the same exact experience. Right. You know, everyone's at home, you know, you can't or you shouldn't be going out. People want to have that social engagement, but, you know, things like video games and Zoom calls only go so far. But I think with D&D or any kind of tabletop role playing game, it gives you something to focus on. It gives you something to build, you know, uh, content around or like have like fun around like a system of rules or a scenario or whatever it is. And I think that that gets the focus, right? It's like playing a board game, like where it gives you something to do. And then meanwhile, you're also catching up and talking and having snacks and doing all of this kind of stuff. So right. it's been a huge help for a lot of people. Yeah, because it's, it's, like it's like a long form collaborative storytelling, but also a social engagement. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's like what I've always loved about it is it's the combination of two things. And I think that one of the big surges in D&D's popularity in tabletop role-playing games in general, I always say D&D, I mean tabletop role-playing games. <laughs> I think that that's because people have realized, oh, it's not just, you know, there is a social element to it. Oh, you can be funny. It can be silly. It can be serious if you want it to be. It can be um, emotional. It can be ridiculous. It can be all these different things. There's no one right way to do it. You know, the ideas that maybe we were sold growing up of like nerdy guys in basements, like going, ah, I cast magic missile at the dark. You know, it can be that, but it also doesn't have to be that. And I think that people can see that now and they're like, oh, this is actually, it's kind of cool. <laughs> and I right. think people get into it. Right. Because you can, especially now after, you know, it's been kind of in the public consciousness for so long, you can get, you know, a bunch of 40 somethings that, you know, rent a cabin for the weekend and, you know, hang out and play D&D, you know, among other activities. And that's just vacation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, um, there's a group I've been speaking to uh, looking at doing some stuff next year uh, where they had that exact scenario. It was a, a guy who wanted to kind of get together with his old, old gaming buds and they rented, uh, you know, a place together. And he was like, oh, this was so much fun. We should do it. Now they do a thing where they they rent out an entire castle here in the UK <laughs> and people buy tickets and they bring in GMs like, you know, professional GMs like myself and others from the US to come and run games in a castle. Yeah. And like that, that they were said like, it's a vacation. Like for some people who just, they don't have the time to play in their regular life. They want to get away and spend a weekend playing D&D in a cool setting. That's what they do. So like, yeah, like, this idea now that the 40 somethings who have got family and kids and are working, having that weekend or that Thursday night where you can just be like, this is game night now. And that's, you know, how you, it's a great way to spend your time. I, I genuinely think so. Now you mentioned the, uh, the, the way things were sold to us growing up. And I've seen you tweet about this quite a lot. <laughs> yeah. What, so, so explain that a little bit. What do you mean by that? Well, I guess like the idea for me, you know, I'm, I'm 34. So I'm sure that there's some people out there, you know, who are a bit older than me who will kind of say otherwise. But when I was growing up, like if I, especially watching, and, I, and again, I'm speaking as somebody in the UK. So that's yeah. another thing to keep in mind is my perception of D&D &D was only through American media. 
So watching an American sitcom or an American cartoon or something like that. And in those kind of shows, it was always depicted as uh, the sort of more, you know, nerds in a basement playing Dungeons and Dragons kind of thing. Yeah. Um, In the UK, you might have, and this was the case for me, you might have a friend or an older brother or an older sister or an older cousin who played D&D and you saw their books, but you never saw the game. You were never part of it. You didn't know what it was. It was this inferior thing that existed in the comic book shop where you would go and buy Pokemon cards or X-Men comics or whatever it is. It was this other thing that you were kind of aware of but didn't know. And especially for me growing up, I mean, I've been a huge nerd my entire life. You know, I, I my big thing when I was a teenager was Warhammer was Games Workshop. And I remember going into the Games Workshop and we were taught to the game. And I would hear all the older, you know, boys and the staff members talking about D&D, but I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how to play it. And then I eventually got into it. We ended up buying a box set and me and my friends kind of started playing. But when, you know, growing up, like your only perception of it really was this American, to, well, to me, it felt very American yeah. kind of, yeah, nerds in a basement kind of thing. And then I think that like web comics and things like that kind of built on that and it became a bit of a satire. It became a bit of a kind of like, oh yeah, haha joke. And I think now it's it's completely dispelled. And I think that that kind of idea is is long gone out the window for a lot of people. Do you, um, do you have old friends or family, parents, whatever, who are amused or weirded out by what you do for a living? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So there's a couple of things. So my my old gaming group, you know, when I was in school, um, so high school going into college for US folks, um, we it was high school and then sick form for us. Uh, we, me and my friends would play every day. We would mm-hmm. finish school, run home, have dinner, run to my friend Dave's, and we would sit there and play D&D for three, four hours. Um, yeah. And then normally you would come home and you'd do a, your homework in the 40 minutes before your parents sent you to bed. Uh, that was kind of the the daily routine, right? So we played so much. Um, and then some of those guys went to university. I went to my first job and we kind of, you know, drifted apart. And now <laughs> I met up with them again recently. It was at a Comic Con, uh, London Comic Con, where... I was doing a signing. Yeah. I was doing like a signing of people coming up to like get their DM, you know, DMGs and their players handbook signed. And I met them cause they had come down for the day and they met me in the bar afterwards. And we just reminisced about the games and they were just saying like, it's so awesome. Like they were so happy and proud and just like, it's so cool that you get to do this now. And, you know, it all came from those games that we played as a kid. And that's something I try and, you know, people talk about how did you get into it? You know, why, you know, how all of this kind of stuff with how High Rollers, my show, got started. And I kind of always make the point of like the years I spent playing with my friends met a very good opportunity and my experience and skill in theater. And those three things are what created the, the opportunity I'm in today. But it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't spent those every Monday to Friday with my friends in school playing afterwards and and just playing the game and having that experience. Um, and, uh, and then my parent, my, my, my family, mainly it's my parents. My dad is like, he's always been, it's very, my dad's a very strange individual. (laughs) He's kind of got all the typical British loves football, uh, soccer, uh, football, you know, builder, ex builder, um, big burly, strong guy, English dad vibes. He was also massively into theater. He would play the, um, he would play the, uh, the dame in a pantomime, which is kind of like the drag art, you know, drag art of a pantomime uh, thing yeah. every year for for Christmas. Um, he would sing. He, you know, he's very, perf- he's a big performer, big charisma guy. 
And uh, I remember once he never used to get the D&D thing. He would just like, couldn't wrap his head around it. This is a guy who doesn't watch movies. He doesn't like books. <laughs> he just doesn't <laughs> get it. And then one birthday, uh, I had all my friends over and we played D&D. And for some reason he had to stay in the house. I think like my mum was ill or something like that. And so he was just, he just said, look, I'm going to put my headphones on. I'll watch the football in the corner. I won't bother you. And he, he started doing that, but then he got up to get a drink and I noticed he left his headphones off and he was listening to us the whole time. And then after all my friends left, he just said, I remember, I always remember this. He just said, I get it now. I get why you play this game. And I was just like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and now it's, and, and so for him, he, to him, he's just like, yeah, it makes sense that this is your job. Like this, this fits you to a T, like this is exactly what you should have done. And you know, this is where you're meant to be. My mum, uh, bless her, you know, the whole thing with the internet and, uh, you know, my mum, like to my mum, the idea that, you know, 3000 people watch my show every week or like, you know, we've got a million views on YouTube or something like that. That doesn't really make sense to my mum. But what did is that when she went into a local bookshop and got talking to the the young man who worked there and talked about fancy books and talked about D&D and he said, wait, do you, are you Mark Humes's mum? <laughs> and she was just like, what? <laughs> that was what kind of weirded her out. And I think she realized that, yeah, my, what I do for a living now is, is a very strange experience. Yeah. Yeah. I, I occasionally get that with family members or neighbors, things like that, mm. uh, where they'll be like, well, I didn't really understand, but then I was on a business trip in Dubai and I saw your books in a bookstore there and holy crap, you actually have sold internationally. That's amazing. <laughs> You've actually sold these books. These books are in shops. Wow. Like it's right. bizarre, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause I, and I've mentioned this on this podcast before, but mm. oftentimes when you're a fantasy writer, people either assume that you're a troglodyte living in your mom's basement yep. or you're a millionaire. And they don't really get that you're like a professional creator. Yeah. And, and there's like an in-between, you know, yeah, there's a middle ground there. You, you, can, you know, uh, and some of those uh, millionaires are still troglodytes living in basements <laughs> to an extent, you know? Right. Um, and, but yeah, you can absolutely be in the middle ground. It's a weird thing, right? I think that, uh, and I guess you would know more about this, like fancy seems to be hitting more of the mainstream and maybe more and more people are kind of going like, Oh, it's not just Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Like there's this other stuff that kind of fits these gaps, I guess. Um, I don't know how well, you feel about that. Like with more fancy kind of media being around. Well, I, I kind of, I feel like in some ways, maybe like, you know, epic fantasy novels are a little bit more accessible to the public because of Game mm. of Thrones and things like that. But yeah. I, I do think that a lot of that kind of culture building comes from what, like what you do, Okay, you know, doing these like YouTube shows and, you know, streaming on Twitch and stuff like that, where mm. it, it creates the kind of the vocabulary and the culture of fantasy mm. uh, kind of spreads more to different parts of, you know, cause there's a lot of people that, you know, jump on Twitch because they're, you know, they want to watch like FIFA or something like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and then they wind up, you know, over on D and D, you know, like things yeah. like that. There's that weird kind of crossover of like, especially with Twitch, you know, you start watching a streamer who plays Call of Duty or FIFA, right? And then yeah. maybe that streamer's just like, oh, I hear everybody's talking about this game, Dragon Age. I'm going to give it a go. And they sit down to play it and maybe they've never played a game like that before. And it's this whole new experience. It's not just that person that gets that. It's all the chat as well who are like, you know, they're there for one thing, but then they might be like, well, this is kind of cool. I didn't realize this could be cool. And they move on to it and kind of explore other things. Or like, you know, their streamer who normally does Minecraft 
suddenly is in a D&D show where they sit down and it's live action and there's dice and characters and models and they're, you know, they've they've brought their audience over who have never experienced something like that before and then they get to experience it. I also think that there's been a vice versa where like the people watching Game of Thrones, that has added to their vocabulary to come and check out D&D, right? Where they're yeah. like, oh, I know what dragons are. Oh, is it like Game of Thrones? I get that. And then they can kind of get into it from that side of things as well. Right. It, it normalizes it in broader culture um, yeah. so that it's not just that assumption of a bunch of nerds sitting around a table, you know, <laughs> um, and that applies not just to D&D and role playing, but to, yeah. you know, reading fantasy novels. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think and it's, you know, it's nice because I think that it's one of those things that for years it's trying to convince uh, friends to play D&D or to come LARPing or to try out a different genre of games and getting over those barriers of like, I know what you think you know what fancy is, but you like there's so many different types and flavors and there's something for you. And it's something as a GM, as a DM, when you sit down with your players as well. If you want to kind of like, uh, this is a little, if anybody's ever interested in DMing, this is like a tip I often give out is ask what people, what their favorite video games are, what their favorite movies are, what their favorite TV shows are, because you can take that and blend it with fantasy in some way, or there's already a flavor of fantasy out there that you can use, right? Like if somebody's like, oh, I really like CSI crime shows and you've got a bunch of people that love like, you know, forensic crime shows, you could be like, well, I'm going to, I'm going to build a D and D campaign that's fantasy and CSI crime, like where you're magic detectives, bam, you can do that. And then I think that that's the thing is people don't realize how flexible fantasy is, is as a thing that can be applied to so much else. Um, yeah. It's the wonder of it. It's the awe of it and the magic and yeah, stuff like that. Anyway, I don't know why <laughs> you're an author. I should, you know, all this stuff. <laughs> right, right. But, but people hopefully will be listening to this. So it's hopefully. Good. <laughs> so you started out in theater in school then, huh? Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, little little Mark's big dream, or what little Mark thought he was going to do. Um, I've always loved uh, playing pretend. That's like the way. Like when I was a little kid, uh, I would go and stay at grandma's because my mum was working. So like after school, I would have to go to grandma's house, and I would spend hours running around in the garden with a dustbin lid and a stick, and um, pretending to be a knight fighting monsters or fighting off aliens, talking to myself quite frequently. Um, so playing pretend really came naturally to me. And then when I started to get into high school and doing things out, you know, clubs and things like that, I think it's one of those things where I had a lot of very positive affirmation from a young age. My mm-hmm. drama teacher, my theater teacher would constantly tell me how amazing she was like, you're amazing. You're going to be a star. You should do this. This should be what you do as a living. My parents, my dad was very encouraging. They would take me into like the local acting groups and we would, you know, do that together as a family. My friends were all very much into it as well. I would, I spent a lot of my time with a couple of my friends. We went and did like theater clubs and drama clubs together. Um, and it was just like a huge part of my life. And that was just, yeah, that, you know, when you have so many people telling you that you're good at something and that you should do it, that kind of just becomes what you think you should do, right? And I loved it, and I, I genuinely love it. I still love it. I love playing pretend. I love pretending to be other characters, thinking about you know what they would say and what they would do and stuff like that. But it eventually got to the point where I finished sixth form, which is kind of like college for us, mm-hmm. and we will. I was looking at going to university, and I had a number of. Um, I actually put down to go to some drama schools in London, some pretty big, impressive, famous drama schools. 
and I applied. I had a uh, I had a tentative acceptance, but it's a lot of money. Like you, it is the kind of thing where you you know the loans and stuff are very expensive, and my parents would have had to have spent a lot of money to send me there. Yeah, and I just got too scared. I I kind of had this realization that I had been a big fish in a very small pond in my little part of the UK. Um, yeah. And suddenly I was surrounded by other actors who had, and actresses who had all been told the same things that I had, that you're amazing, you're going to be a star. And I realized that it was this is a career that is very luck-based. You've got to be the right face in the right place at the right time. And if you're not, you're going to struggle and you're going to have to, you know, it's going to be a lot of hard work. And I just kind of went, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can, I can handle it. So I ended up going and working in the video game industry. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, but yeah, and I, and, but I still think that all of those years of the training and the practice and everything else, I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have that stuff. Cause it certainly helped me learn to be a good, uh, presenter and a good performer for the camera, which is a huge part of, of, you know, Twitch, even though our games aren't performative, you know, we just try and treat it like a normal game of D and D. I yeah. think that a certain presence and a certain kind of ability to be in character really helps uh, people get invested. So what, what did you do in the video game industry? So I started um, just in customer support. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was very lucky that some friends of mine, some some uh, older grown-up friends of mine, um, were working for a young video game company. They had just started and they were expanding very, very quickly. And they needed a lot of customer support because it was an online game. And uh, <laughs> uh, they just said, you should, come, you should come and apply. And so I did. I was like 19 at the time. Yeah. Um, and I traveled up to Cambridge. I stayed at their house. And uh, there's a funny story where they had all gone to work. and I was in their apartment. The taxi arrives to take me to the job interview. And I'm in my suit and everything else. And they had accidentally locked me in. And I didn't have a key to get out. I ended up having to open a window climb out, climb over a wall and then ring them and say, I couldn't get out. I've had to leave a window open. You need to come, come and close it. Like I (laughs) I have to get in the cab. I did. I got in the cab. I got to my job interview. Everything was fine. They, they came back and shut the window, but it was, it was a a thing that will always stick with me. Um, (laughs) I get to the games company and the job interview uh, involved a very lovely Italian fellow uh, with a very thick Mario like accent, basically going, ah, so what games do you like to play? <laughs> and I was like, oh, I like these games. And he was like, great, let's take you for a tour. Had a tour of the office. And he was like, when can you start? And I was just like, um, <laughs> next week. And he was just like, brilliant. And then I got a job. And it was, you know, it was because they were so rapidly expanding. They basically just wanted, are you educated? Do you have, uh, you know, do you have a passion for video games? Great. We'll teach you everything else you need to know. Right. Um, and I did that for like six months. I was in customer services. Um, and I think that being quite creative and being quite charismatic, uh, they were like, hey, you should move into a training team. So I spent some time training newbies that came in with the stuff that I had just all learned. And then eventually it was like, hey, you should go into community management. We think that that's a really good fit for you. And I did that for eight to nine years. Um, where I was social media and community management. Um, and then I kind of went, nah, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> So, yeah. Was so was leaving that industry because high rollers had taken off? No. So I left that industry um so it's kind of a uh, it's kind of a double jointed story really. So I ended up uh I attempted to work in London as an actor and a voiceover for a year. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know what? I never gave this a go as a kid. I'm going to try and do it and I loved voiceover and I love voice acting. And so I tried to do that for a year. 
very, very unsuccessful. Uh, I was unemployed for most of it. I yeah. had one pay, good paying job, which was to do uh, a, uh, a furniture store sale advert on the radio. Uh, that was my one thing that I did. <laughs> um, so it didn't go very well. So I ended up going back into commuter games and, and community management. Did that for a few more years. And then my fiance, Nina, she is an illustrator who worked for a YouTube network called The Yogscast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they, you know, she was happily working with them and doing stuff with them. And I just, I would watch their, their, I would watch everything they were doing as a company. And I was like, man, they, they don't have anybody doing community management. They don't have anybody doing social media. I really feel they should. I really feel like, you know, I could add a lot of value to this company. And I was still working on a, a game to be launched at the time, but, uh, I went down to Bristol where the Yogs cast were and I arranged a meeting with the CEO and the, the owner of the company. And I said, look, I just want to come in and, and just tell you some things you guys should, should change and you should do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, well, sure. Okay. Yeah. You know your stuff. You've been doing this a long time. Sure. Come in and talk to us. So I went in and I had like a full presentation and I sat down. It was like a you know 40 minute presentation of going through some do's and don'ts. And at the end of it, the, uh, the owner basically said, so what I'm getting from this is that basically we should hire you to do this stuff for us. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, that would make it a lot easier. Yeah, that that would certainly be, uh, that'd be a good way to do it. And he was just like, well, when would you want to start? And I was just like, well, I mean, yeah, uh, yep. And, and then that was that. So I ended up coming working for those guys. Um, and then it was part of that, that uh, they, an opportunity came up to do a streaming slot. Mm-hmm. And I'd done some D&D stuff for charity uh, with them before. Uh, we'd done some stuff where they do a big charity fundraiser called the Jingle Jam every Christmas. Um, and they asked me to do some D&D stuff there when, when it went well. So they were like, hey, would you want to do like a regular D&D show kind of thing? Because Critical Role at this point was had just taken off. Like it, Critical Role had just started. It was doing really well with Geek and Sundry. They, you know, I had been watching it and some of my friends in the company had been watching it. And so we were like, man, we'd love to do something like that. So we pitched it. We thought that high rollers would be four, six weeks and then people wouldn't be watching it. We thought that yeah. like, yeah, we'll, we'll get like a few hundred people watching it. And then in six weeks time, it will probably not be worth doing anymore. Um, we were very wrong, thankfully. <laughs> uh, and people just really loved it. And, and uh, when it really took off, uh, it was taking up so much of my time that I basically just spoke to the owners of the company and said, listen, I, I think that, I should transition to doing this full time and I should be self-employed and, and doing high rollers as my own thing. And, and they agreed and it kind of shifted to there. And now uh, me and the high rollers guys, we own, we own our own company and we do it as our own business now. So that's awesome. That's, that's a like, long winded story. <laughs> right. No, but it's like, it's really cool. I, I, I love, I love listening to stories like that because I, you're so much of a, you're, you're such a good go getter. <laughs> like you, you, you facilitated all that stuff going on. Something that I struggled with when I was younger, uh, mm. and even today to some extent, is is kind of being that self starter. Because I can do things. I can be a self starter with writing a book, but mm. the moment it comes to going and talking to other people, I just <laughs> drop off, and yeah. and I have I struggle with that so much. I imagine that some of that, you know, that goes back to like the theater background and mm. and being able to to be confident in the presence of other people. I tell you what, it's an interesting one. Uh, I often refer to myself as um, an introverted extrovert. Uh, <laughs> in most cases, I am very much actually like you. I really struggle to go and speak with people I don't know. Like mm-hmm. if you put me in a bar and said, go and speak to somebody at this bar, and it was a complete stranger, 
I don't know if I could do that. Like I genuinely really struggle. I get very anxious and nervous. You ask me to speak to, you ask me to go on stage and speak to a thousand nerds at an anime convention. I can do that easily. No problem. Like that's a yeah. completely different scenario to me when it comes to, and, and so the theater backgrounds, so that's where that works. Like I can, you can put me on stage or put me on camera and I can do pretty much anything. You asked like, you asked teenage Mark to go and speak to the girl that he fancied. <laughs> Couldn't do it in the, in the slightest. Yeah. You asked me to go and speak to my boss about a problem I was having at work. I couldn't do it. Um, the reason that I think a lot of that stuff ended up happening was I was very unhappy in my job in the, in the games industry. I just really was quite depressed and miserable mm -hmm. and I was desperate for a way out. And so that desperation was like, well, you know, maybe I should just go and speak to these guys and maybe, you know, something can happen from there. And, and that kind of helped happen from that because and, and, and I think it's really difficult because I think it's so easy to look at YouTubers and Twitch streamers and assume that that confidence is there, right? Because yeah. they've got to be to be able to do that stuff. But it's such a weird thing. I've met so many other streamers who you you see them on camera or you do an interview with them or you do a show with them and they're bubbly and chatty and super excited. And then afterwards, they're just like a nervous wreck and they're just, you know, you're, they're just like, oh man, I hope that was okay. Like, I'm so sorry if I was like awkward and stuff like that. And you're just like, no, are you kidding? You're amazing. And it's just this weird thing, I think, with performance and being a performer and stuff. I think it definitely helps in certain scenarios. I can talk for mm -hmm. England in a podcast and stuff like that, but um, other situations, it crum completely crumbles. <laughs> I uh, Watching you do what you do with the being a dungeon master mm. on screen i'm frequent i'm amazed by all the different jobs that that entails because because you think about like you know most content providers um maybe maybe traditional content providers like you know i'm thinking specifically like comedians and things mm. they have someone else writing for them and so like if they're on screen they're probably just performing something else that was prepared for them by someone else. They've got mm. they, their job is to be on screen and mm. to do and to talk and do be the fancy face. Mm. But you also are kind of a director of all these other people. Um, you're <laughs> also the content provider because you've got to plan the campaign. Mm. There's just so much going on there. How do you juggle that? I think um, <laughs> rather than a director, it feels more like a, a kindergarten teacher or a, a, a sheep herder <laughs> sometimes with other players. I think we've been very lucky with High Rollers. When we sat down to do the first few episodes, and, and it, it's been my philosophy since we started the show, I try not to treat it like a show. Mm -hmm. I try and treat it like I am playing D&D &D with my friends, but we're going to put some cameras on and we're going to record it. I don't change the content. I don't try and manipulate the content to make it more dramatic or make sure like right at two and a half hours, I've got to make sure that we have this epic story beat so that people are hooked and before, you know, bubble and I've got to have, a, you know, I try not to do that. Yeah. I think that over the last sort of five years, I've kind of gotten just a natural feel for like our sessions of like, I can tell they're getting excited and now I'm going to reveal the big thing for them and stuff like that. But that's more of like a me with my friends kind of vibe. I think that definitely being a DM is, so who was it? I think it was, um, it might've been some of the Penny Arcade guys or, or Chris Perkins from Wizard of the Coast D&D who talked about DMing being like being a chef. 
it's not just you're cooking the meal. You've got to plan the menu. You've got to arrange the seating. You've got to decorate the restaurant. You've got to uh, source all the ingredients. You've got to kind of do all that stuff. And I like that thing because the chef is ultimately still doing all of those things for one task, which is to provide this great meal or in a DM's case, a great game. Um, but those yeah. are all different components and components and parts of it and, and kind of bringing all that stuff together. Um, but it's also very rewarding. I imagine it's the same way for an author, right? Like you guys spend the time, you, you do the world building, you do the character planning and everything else. And then it's, it's kind of letting the story run its course and seeing how everything comes together. And I kind of think it's kind of in the same way. Um, and then the, it's just that the presenting rather than being through prose is, is done through speech and being on doing the on camera stuff. I think that making it feel more like a home game definitely takes away some of that stress. You don't have to feel like a performer and a director. You just have to feel like, well, I'm just doing a fun game with my friends kind of thing. Do you find you worry about the performance aspect at all? I don't worry so much about the performance aspect of it. I think maybe that's just because of, again, years of doing it and all the theater background. What I often will worry about more is, is this fun for the players? Um, because obviously they, you know, they're all some, uh, a good chunk of them are YouTubers or, or streamers or people that are in that thing. And I always worry, like, are they just pretending to enjoy this for the cameras? And then actually I'm going to ask them afterwards and they're going to go like, no, Mark, we hated that. That was the worst thing ever, but we had to look good. So like, that's yeah. a constant worry is like, oh God, are they actually having fun? Are they enjoying it? Same with the audience. Like, is this fun for the audience? Like, are they actually enjoying what I'm doing? It, it's kind of worrying about like, oh, did they like their food kind of thing? Right. And then it's also one of the things that has uh, definitely developed, and it's not so much a worry, but it is a kind of thing at the back of my mind, is playing D&D on your own with your friends. You never have to worry about 2,000 people pointing out rules that you've gotten wrong. And that's like a big <laughs> thing. <laughs> the, the amount of times where, you know, you'll check the YouTube comments and somebody will be like, oh, uh, on the third round of combat at one, one hour, 16 minutes in, uh, you used uh, an extra reaction that you wouldn't have had because the monster hadn't had its turn again. And that meant that this player got downed and that they shouldn't have. And that meant and it's just like, yeah, okay, it happens. <laughs> right. But that right. is a thing that like, you know, you're, you have to be very on it because people will be tracking everything that you do. Um, and you've got to make sure that like you get it right. <laughs> Cause if you don't, somebody will let you know you didn't. Well, and, and in that format, like the kind of, you know, the famous YouTube comment section, you know, <laughs> it, it encourages almost that sort of almost the pile on like, ha ha, you got it wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, cause when you write books, like it's often, I'll get like eight emails about the same typo. Yeah. But those people all had to kind of put a little bit of extra effort in. They had to go to my website and go to my email form <laughs> and they had to send me an email about it yeah. rather than just click on something and then type out something angrily, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, it, you know, I think we've managed to do a good job of cultivating the way I always try and put it across is like, I'm more than happy for people to correct stuff that I get wrong, as long as it's polite and it's constructive. Mm -hmm. Like if somebody says, hey man, uh, just to check this rule works this way, or actually this spell doesn't work the way you think it does. Uh, this is referred to in this like, you know, rules article that was posted or whatever. Um, just wanted to check and make sure that you knew that and blah, blah, blah. It was just an honest mistake that I've got no problem with. Like, you know, it's when people try and do stuff like you're, you know, they try and tell the player that they're playing the character wrong. Oh, 
oh, that's yeah. not what an elf is supposed to be like. Oh, that's why is the warlock using this spell instead of that spell? I'm like, come on, guys. <laughs> that's the stuff where I'm like, ugh, roll my eyes. Um, but people yeah. like genuinely just correcting a mistake or, or offering constructive feedback. Like, oh, I wish that this had happened instead of this, or I think it would have been fairer to do that. Oh, that's fine. I've got no problem with that. But yeah, I imagine like the eight typos in a book, it's kind of the same thing when somebody points out that, you know, you've got, uh, a spell you know you did the fireball damage wrong you know it's like just reply after reply of it you're like yeah okay <laughs> right right hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Do you, uh, do you find that it's better to engage with the audience or to, is there, is there some things you'll engage with and some things that you just won't? Yeah, this actually goes back. I was having a conversation with this with some other um, content creators, some other Twitch streamers and YouTubers recently, because there was the, the topic about moderating comments and YouTube and things like that came up. And I said, well, the way that I've always approached it from my community management days working in the games industry to today is the best way to foster a positive community is to engage with the positive responses. So like when somebody says, I loved it when you did this thing, reply to that. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Reply to it because that person wants your attention. They want you to respond. They want to feel connected to you. Respond to that stuff to show that that's the stuff you'll engage with. And then if it's constructive uh, criticism, leave it alone reply to it occasionally, but like allow people to like, you know, respond to it. And then anything which is just outright toxic or outright negative, just get rid of it Yeah, because it doesn't serve a purpose. And it's not even just about protecting the creator or the person making the content. You've got to think about how that, that negativity affects the rest of that community, right? If you've got that one guy who's like, I hate player X because they're so stupid and I don't like the way they play the game. First of all, another person comes along and agrees with that person and then they just reply to it and they feel empowered. But also the person who likes player X now feels like, oh, they feel like they have to argue with it. You then get, you know, an argument thread or whatever. Uh, whereas if you just respond to the person who's like, I love player X, I love the way they did this. And you're like, oh, thank you so much. That's awesome. That goes to the top. That's what people see. They engage with that instead. So I always feel that like engaging with positivity um, allowing constructive criticism, even if you disagree with it, but allowing it and, and maybe engaging with it. Um, but then just getting rid of anything which is purely negative or toxic. You know, some people will say things like, don't read the comments. And I'm like, well, that's okay for you. Like, that's a great way to protect your own self and your 
own mental health, but have a think about how that might affect the knock-on community, how that might make new viewers. Like if a new viewer comes to the video and the first comment they see is somebody just being a complete insert word here, uh, you know, that's going to put them off that community. And instead, if they come and see a really cool, positive thing or like a, a discussion about something and they see the creator engaging with that, that's going to make them much more likely to be like, oh, this is a cool community. I want to be part of that. Yeah. That's long-winded answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how, how about engaging with your players? I I'm, mm. was curious about this because you've done, you've done obviously high rollers, but you've also done a lot of guest spots mm. and you've, you've kind of been all over the community and I'm curious how you deal with, uh, a, maybe, a, a giving all of the different players, especially because this is in some ways performative mm. and there are watchers. Mm. How do you give all the players like equal time on screen and equal ability to shine? Yeah. Um, God, I don't know if I've got an easy answer for this one. Cause you know how, like, you know, you do a thing so much and sometimes you don't even necessarily realize the way you do things. Um, yeah. I think the big one for me is things like one shots or like guests is easy because uh, if you have like a regular campaign going that you're playing week to week and then you bring in a guest, every player at that table is normally be like absolutely focused on the guest, give them that spotlight because they're only here for a short time. Yeah. So that's kind of easy to do. You can focus on that. And likewise, if you're doing a one shot with a bunch of guest players, I've done these for like charity games and things like that. Normally you're creating a scenario that is designed to basically make that particular moat that, you know, those characters are going to have clear moments to shine in that. Cause you want to kind of, if it's like a two, three hour game, you want to bake that into the the game itself into the narrative and make sure that like, right, I've got a barbarian. So I'm going to put in a big tough enemy that they want to fight. I've got a wizard. So I'm going to put in a magical puzzle that they can feel clever if they solve, you know, you want to kind of put these things in so that those players feel super engaged with a longer running campaign. I've always taken the approach of um, like, if a player takes the time to write that backstory, I will seed that backstory into whatever plans I want to do. And I think that this is a big thing with new DMs um, and new games masters for things like Dungeons and Dragons. The DM isn't the one who gets to decide all the story. Mm -hmm. The DM can have a story they want to tell and that's totally fine and that's fun for them, but it shouldn't be the only story being told, right? And it shouldn't be at the expense of anybody else's story. So a good way is to kind of say like, you know, you've got the player who's like, uh, my parents were killed like Batman because I'm an edgelord um, and it was done by this evil guild of assassins and I want to get my revenge. Uh, that's the player backstory, right? And you're like, okay, cool. We've got this. Yeah. I had this story where they're going to go to this city that's very political and there's all these different factions working. Well, you know what? I'm going to have it that these different factions are all now working with this guild of assassins and the guild of assassins is playing them off against each other and hiring out. Oh, and look, the ones that killed such and such as parents are going to be the ones that come and try and kill the person the players are going to go visit and is going to get that aid. And you just sink it all in, right? Yeah. And then that player, they get to that moment and it's like you describe the combat and like the master assassins bust out, but you, and you point at that player and you say, you, Kim, you recognize their faces because you saw them when, you know, when you were hiding under the bed and you saw them plunge the dagger into your father's neck. And that player will be just like, <laughs> you know, they will flip <laughs> out because they'll feel that you've planned this the whole time and that some magical thing has made it all work. Um, so like bringing their player backstories into whatever ideas you have as a GM, any world building you do is always good. Trying to make mm -hmm. that fit. And then individually in moment to moment at the table, I will always try and do a thing where look at who's talking a lot, let them speak. 
and then have an NPC point at a character who's quiet or who hasn't had a moment to shine and say, what do you think so-and-so? Your, your, your allies or your companions have said what they think, but I, what you've been quiet this whole time. What do you think? Kind of draw them into the story or let them have a moment. Kind of ask the players, go around and be like, right, I know what you guys want to do. What do you want to do so-and-so? What do you want to do, Sentry or Rhiannon? You know, what, what are you doing whilst they're doing this? Um, just throwing it to them and trying to think of it like, right, they've had their five minutes of fame. Make sure I give these guys time to shine as well. Some players don't want that. Some players will be like, no, I don't really want to do anything. Um, you're like, okay, that's fine. That that player is just the passive type who just wants to go along with what everyone else is doing. And that's totally fine way to play the game. But giving them that opportunity to say, oh yeah, there's this thing I've really wanted to do. Or like, oh, I'd really like to talk to this NPC. That can mean the world to that player. Because some people just don't want to you know, interrupt. Whereas you get people like me who are big mouths who are just talk, 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 say. Um. <laughs> <laughs> how do you, uh, like alternately from that, how do you deal with a player who might be overbearing? or who might kind of jump in all the time with everything. <laughs> Luckily, I've not had to deal with too many of these. Um, most of my players know when they're doing this, so they'll back off and they'll they'll let it. I think that, um, and so I don't necessarily have a good answer. I think one of the best ways to do it is through NPC reactions. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you have the character who's playing a bard and they know that they've got high charisma and they're constantly jumping in, constantly trying to make checks, constantly trying to talk, NPCs, like we would in real life, they might be like, okay, shut up. <laughs> I've heard enough from you. I want to hear what they think. I want to hear what they want to do. I want to hear their plan. You've spoken enough. You've said your piece. Um, and I think that that's also a thing where you have to have that out of game conversation where you, you kind of say, hey man, look, I know you really like doing the whole charisma talking thing, but the others aren't really getting a chance to speak. Can you, can you just, you know, ask them what they think, get them involved. Cause sometimes yeah. those players are just excited and they just really love the world and they love interacting uh, and they don't realize that they're taking those moments away from others. Likewise, you can sometimes have players who are quite shy and introverted who struggle to know when to speak. So trying to match those two up and say, listen, so-and-so is really struggling to get into it. Maybe you could help them. Maybe you could start asking what their character thinks, like use that as an opportunity to have a conversation with them rather than with the NPC. Uh, and that can create a great moment and help bring that other person out of their shell as well. Yeah, I find that uh, in this sort of setting, it most people don't do those kind of things in bad faith. Yeah. You know, they're not yeah. they're not trying to be bullies or to or be, you know, the star. They just are reacting, reacting instinctively. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's excitement, right? Like it's like, yeah. oh, I'm having such a good time. Like I do that. And it's something that I've recognized. Uh, I am terrible for finishing other people's sentences or jumping into a conversation. And it's purely because I'm so excited at what they're talking about. I'm like a puppy that I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to talk to, I want to talk to you more about this thing. Uh, I've, I've, you know, and you know, you talk about a thing that you've done as a way to kind of say, look, I'm excited about the same thing you are not realizing that sometimes you come across incredibly rude uh, when you right. do it. And so, yeah. And I, I do the exact same thing and I never realize it until a long time later. And then I'm like, Oh I'm so man, and you're like, oh, no. I can't believe I did that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, I'm sure that we've probably done that to each other. Like when you came, when you came and we showed you around, I'm sure I've done that to you and you've probably done that to us. <laughs> oh yeah, probably. No, actually that was very fun. It was, that was like, gosh, that was like four or five years now. A long time ago. Yeah. It's, it's, it's time been flies. a while. Yeah. 
Um, but you guys gave me a tour of the whole building. Are you still working out of the same building? Well, so um, the Hat Films, um, Alex and, and Chris do some, still do stuff. Obviously, with the lockdown, like most of us aren't using the studio. Um, with yeah. High Rollers, since the pandemic, we've moved pretty much everything to online now. So we've been doing everything over Roll20, which is a service for playing D&D online um, with mm-hmm. everybody with webcams and microphones at home. Um, and we found a really good way to do it. We've found really good software where it's not too delayed and it's, the quality's still nice and high. Um, so we've just been continuing to do that. We might still, we might go back to the studio for a few episodes because I really miss playing in person. I much prefer being at a table with miniatures and dice and stuff like that. Um, but at the same time, it's quite easier doing it online. It's a lot easier in terms of production. It's a lot easier in terms of people's lives. Um, but yeah, the, the Yogscast is still in the same building and in the place we still live in Bristol. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, hang out and stuff like that. Uh, what other projects do you have going on besides the, you know, the main core, I assume, is High Rollers? Yeah, High Rollers is like my big business. So I say mine. It's like I always feel like the the kind of dad of High Rollers. Like it's, it's, it's your my, baby. My, you know? It's my baby, 100%. Right. And the others all work super hard on it, you know, not to diminish anything they do. But I think because like I was there at the start kind of pitching it. I've always felt so protective of it, but yeah, it's, um, yeah. high rollers is the big project, but I've started doing quite a lot of my own stuff as well. So I actually wrote my first official D and D adventure this year that was published in the D and D book, uh, Candle Keep Mysteries, which is like an anthology of short adventures by 17 mm-hmm. different writers and, and designers. So that was like a big project that I've done recently, like, f- you know, formally writing a, a published D and D adventure. Uh, I have a Patreon where I upload like custom D and D content, you know, new classes and monsters and things like that. I upload there too. Uh, I've DM, I now DM a separate game called Knights of Evening Star, which is on the Wizards uh, Twitch channel. So it's like an mm-hmm. official sponsored Twitch D and D show um, with some very good friends of mine. That's kind of like a kingdom management, you know, knights and wizards kind of game uh, that we do. Um, and then the other thing is, uh, you know, that's kind of like business wise, that's most of my time. We do a lot of sponsored stuff with high rollers. So I'm often in a lot of meetings to plan sponsored deals. We've done some stuff with cyberpunk and Biomutant. We've done some really cool one shots. We've got some more stuff in the works that I can't talk about yet. Um, but we've got a bunch of cool stuff yeah. going to plan on that. So that takes up a lot of my time. And then when I have free time, that's kind of all the work stuff I do because <laughs> that's enough. Um, and then free time wise, it's uh, at the moment I'm in a big Warhammer 40,000 and Warhammer kick. So I've been painting a lot of miniatures. Uh, I do the occasional little bit of cosplay and LARPing as well. It's like a big hobby of mine. Mm-hmm. But yeah. And uh, the, I think the next big project, like business project uh, is I kind of want to start stepping into your world a little bit. And I think that that's like my next steps is to kind of work into uh, writing. I've had three um, story ideas since I was, you know, uh, in my twenties that I've had tinkering around yeah. and I'm finally sitting down and starting to write those out. And I'm sure it'll be many, many years before they're anywhere near, uh, <laughs> of a, but, but I think that that's where I kind of want to go. I think that all the D and D stuff has been a good foundation. Uh, hopefully that continues for many, many years. Um, but all the world building and, and planning and stuff like that, I'm hoping will be a nice, a nice little stepping stone into a next, the next thing that I want to do. So yeah, that's very cool. I, I talk, I've talked with a couple of different, you know, artistic people Mm. for this podcast about how people who write Mm. and create stuff like that, they always want, the grass is always greener. They always want to be writing in a different type of thing. Like I talked to uh, Joe Malozzi about writing in TV, you know, because I think that's super fascinating. And he's kind of like, eh, yeah, it's my job. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. 
it's kind of like how everybody everybody who does this always wants to do the other type of thing within the same yeah. world yeah. you know and yeah and it's that thing of of like i don't want to stop doing what i'm doing but i think i've yeah. been reading fancy books my entire life i think that they've always been something that i've been had a passion for and i've wanted to do and again it's that positive reinforcement thing of when you have a stream, when you have a really successful D&D show and everybody is constantly telling you how much they love your stories, people are asking you to write a campaign book or write a novel or I would read anything you wrote, Mark. You should do this. I'm like, oh, God, I feel like I should now. Like, you telling me this. <laughs> like, you've given me hope that I could. Um, so, you know, it kind of pushes you a little bit and I feel like that's definitely something I would like to do. At least uh, kind of bucket list item. Get get one Get one story down. Yeah. Do you find yourself dealing with creative burnout? Mm. Because like my creative burnout kind of tends to be very quiet because I'm not producing content mm. every week. I'm writing a novel that will come out in a year or two. Mm. And if I, if I burn out, I can quietly slink off of Twitter and just take three weeks off yeah. and nobody even notices. Nobody cares. <laughs> you just play Civ and, uh, and Rimworld. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. But you like you're creating content every week mm does that how how do you kind of deal with it when you're feeling overwhelmed mm. you know it's funny it's uh i'm actually getting to the first burnout i've ever had now so uh yeah. i'm actually at that stage where the, for the first time in five years i hate the feeling that what i do is routine because it shouldn't be because it's this amazing mm-hmm. job an amazing opportunity and a, a great thing i get to do but having done it for so long producing content every week we do occasionally have like weeks where we'll take off or we'll go on vacation or things like that. But with the pandemic, we've not really been able to do that because there's not been anywhere to go or other things to occupy us. So it's been like pretty consistent for sort of like the last, you know, nearly two, you know, year and a half, year and a bit. And uh, I'm finding at the point where it's just become a bit routine and creatively I'm certainly burnt out. I think as well mm-hmm. with D&D, um, if those, f- those listening who aren't familiar, normally you play through what's called a campaign, which is, a long period of time, you know, you're playing for like, I mean, our current second campaign, Aroas, that we've been playing, we've been doing it for three years. Same story, same characters, same world. Every week you play and you just build on it, build on it, build on it, build on it. And after three years, the the players are all very high level. They're doing really cool, epic stuff. But I've been working in that world and with those characters for three years. And I'm kind of like, I kind of want to do something new. I kind of want to move on to the next fresh thing, right? The the ADD brain is like, yeah, new shiny thing, please. New shiny thing. Um, and like you said, like doing it week in, week out, no matter how fun it is, you know, it is a job and you do kind of get a bit burnt out for it. So I think that for me, it will be a case of like, we'll probably plan like an actual break where we'll say like, we're going to take two weeks, no stream, um, just so that, you know, Mark and the others can have a bit of a break and a rest. Um, and we'll take some time off. And I think that I would probably step away and try and have a vacation, go somewhere and get away from the internet. Cause that's the other thing, right? Is, you know, the internet is this constant pressure of like, I should be producing, I should be making, I should be, you know, my value is intrinsically tied to my productivity. Um, yeah. so stepping away from that, that's actually what the, so, uh, me and, you know, Alex Smith, uh, a good friend of uh, mm-hmm. both of ours, actually, um, part of Hat Films, um, and Chris Trot, we go, we used to go LARPing, uh, live action role-playing. So we would go drive down to a field yeah. and spend three days living in tents in costumes, having fake battles and that stuff. And that is uh-huh. honestly one of the best vacations for me because it's no internet. You can't really be on social media. You're not allowed to have, you know, phones and cameras and stuff. 
So it's just a way to get away and completely escape reality for like three days where you're like, I'm going to be Sigvold the Viking treasure hunter. I'm going to go on battles and I'm going to drink mead and I'm going to sing songs around a fire with my friends and I'm going to eat meat and I'm going to do all this kind of, you know, fantasy lifestyle stuff. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a mix of D&D and camping. Yeah, basically the perfect blend of D&D and camping, honestly. Um, and then the one that we go to in particular, it's big enough that uh, for two of the days, uh, a part of the day is dedicated to a thousand V thousand battle where it's literally like mm-hmm. lines of orcs, you know, like thousand orcs in a forest <laughs> and you having a big old scrappy fight with, um, which is very cathartic as well. Like uh, it, it gets right. quite real <laughs> yeah, um, when you're like stood in a woodland and they all wear, cause the one that we go to, they provide these like latex orc masks and orc armor and they'll have like cloaks and things. And you'll be in like a woodland with like, you know, 200 of like a, of a part of a battle with the rest of the battle going on elsewhere and so you'll be surrounded by 200 orcs all with weapons screaming and yelling at you and all your friends are screaming and yelling at you and your buddy's just got killed so he's dying and you someone's trying to heal him and it gets pretty real man the adrenaline starts going nuts <laughs> <laughs> so like that's a that's a great vacation <laughs> that's so fantastic there there was a, a summer in uh in high school when my friends and I, and we had no knowledge of anything like LARPing mm. or anything like that, uh, we got a bunch of PVC pipe and uh, <laughs> foam and just made swords <laughs> and then just stood in the driveway beating the absolute <laughs> crap out of each other. Yep. Um, the fact that none of us was severely injured is kind of a miracle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that honestly, we did that for several months and it was just a huge amount of fun. It's pretty primal, isn't it? It's like primal man of just like <laughs> primal, primal human. Let's fight things and get it out. Of the right, system. right. Exactly. <laughs> Do you find uh, in your work that you kind of, that you have the, the, the having fun versus the doing your job ever butts heads? Oh man. Um, for the most part, no, I I think that there have been maybe Mm -hmm. a couple of times in five years where you've, I've gone like, Oh man, I really don't feel like playing D and D with my friends today, but I guess I have to, (laughs) um, there's, those times are very few and far between quite luckily. Uh, I think the, the more stuff is like the admin things where it's just like having meetings or sorting out taxes or, you know, doing all the boring stuff, right? That's where it's kind of, but then that's not fun. I think that the having fun for the most part is always fun. Like when we sit down to play on a Sunday, whether it's live or whatever, it's always fun. Um, and sometimes, you know, you get very fun moments, things like the conventions, the D and D live events that we've done where we go, get to go and travel to the America and do these amazing things with these amazing people and friends, um, doing all the stuff with crit roll and stuff like that just amazing experiences really so for the most part no for the most part it's just having fun any any kind of work stuff is is normally separated enough that you know it's a work thing and you can kind of just leave it to the side and and do it separate who's the person when you've when you've done these kind of cool sort of like go to big conventions and stuff like that and participate in some of these big panels who's the person that you kind of squeed the most to meet and hang out with. Him. Oh man, it's really hard because, um, <laughs> so <clears throat> to, to kind of get around this again, for people maybe not in the know, there's, there's a few big names in D and D kind of sphere now. Um, one of whom probably the most famous at the moment is Matthew Mercer, DM for critical role. Mm-hmm. 
Matt and I have been friends for like 15 years. Uh, I got to know Matt before he was even a really a big voice actor um, when he was still, Mm -hmm. you know, working before he got really into voice acting. Um, Me and him became friends online. We met up a couple of times at conventions. Uh, When he started getting into voice acting, we would bring him over to the UK for conventions where I would be his like guest liaison. So it'd be my job to kind of look after him and take him around and basically just hang out with him. And again, because we were friends, it just felt like I was hanging out with my mate and we would get drunk and dance and go to parties and uh, I would throw up on his shoes. And then the next day I had to take him to the Doctor Who experience in (laughs) Wales and be miserable. Um, Things like that, you know? And so we had a good laugh. Very specific. (laughs) It's a burned memory. That's why. (laughs) But we would do things like that. And so, you know, and then he started doing critical role and I'd been hearing about his D and D campaigns for years and talking about them. And so, you know, a lot of people would be like, Oh man, you got to guest on critical role. You were a character in critical role. You got to be DM'd by Matt Mercer. I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. I love Matt. He's amazing. But it is, it doesn't have that same impact to me because I've known him so long. Like we've like played in each other's games number of times. And so it just kind of felt the same thing. Um, however, he is eternally going to be the guy I look up to. He's like a big brother to me. So like, I will always look up to him. I'll always be Mm -hmm. marveled and amazed at the stuff he does. And when he, you know, joins us for things that we do, it's like having your big brother there. You're like, yeah, big brother's here. So it's very exciting in terms of squeeing and like being a fanboy the most, I think the two people for me, would probably be Chris Perkins uh, because Wizard of the Coast, Chris Perkins was like a huge part of fourth edition and fifth editions kind of meteoric rise and design. Um, and again, it's like somebody that I've seen lots online, but I'd never met. And so like, you were like, Oh my God, yeah. it's Chris Perkins. Oh, he's just a guy. He's just like a normal guy. He designed, he writes D and D. Yeah. He was like very sort of, uh, like that. And then Jerry Hawkins from Penny Arcade, again, like a person that I've watched and known about for years and years and years and getting to meet him. It was just like, Oh wow. So great to meet you kind of thing. It's weird. Uh, I've, I've, you know, met like Joe Manganello and a bunch of other people and like some of the other like big, fun. but I don't know for me, it's always going to be like the guys that like when I was a little kid, you know, or like, you know, getting into D and D and playing it at college and stuff like that. I was like, Oh man, Chris Perkins is so cool. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. So uh, I don't know. Yeah. It's a weird one. I remember that we had, um, one of the very early D and D live events we did, uh, there was, uh, we had a guest brought into our game and like, cause we were a player down. And so Greg Tito, who arranged a lot of this stuff at, at the D and D events said, Hey, uh, would you guys be willing to have somebody join you? I was like, yeah, of course. He was like, Oh, okay. We're gonna have Dylan join you. I was like, Oh, great. Didn't, I didn't know who Dylan he was just like Dylan. I was like, I'm sure. I don't know who this guy is, but sure. Bring him in. Met him. Lovely American guy, like long, beautiful blonde hair, very handsome. I was like, oh, this guy's cool. He loves D and D. I told him about the character he was going to play and he loved it. We had a great game. Afterwards, my players turned around and went, Mark, do you, do you know who he is? I was like, I don't know who he is. He was, apparently he was a very, very famous child actor who had been in like big, like a big Nickelodeon show or Disney show. I had no idea. <laughs> I was just like, he was just a lovely guy I played D&D with. He was a nice dude. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a weird world. It's a very strange world. I, uh, I had that kind of experience with, uh, a few years back. I, I went to a convention in, in, uh, Amsterdam mm. where I was on a bunch of panels with, uh, with Jeff Vandermeer mm. and his wife. And I didn't know who they were and I just, and, and they were both lovely and yeah. we sat in the groom, green room together and, and it was all fine. And it wasn't for like a year later that I had a friend that was gushing about something that Jeff had written. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I'm on a panel. I was wondering, I hung out with him a little bit over the course of a, of a weekend, like last year. <laughs> and it's like, 
oh, he's like legitimately one of those science fiction authors who's like legit famous, uh, like to normal yeah. people. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> That's crazy. It's so weird, isn't it? And it, and I think that in a way it's nicer because I can imagine that for some people, like having somebody just interact with you like a normal human being, they're like, oh, I can just relax and, and have a chat with this guy and just have a good time. Um, and then afterwards you can have that realization of like, oh God, did I say anything stupid or, you know, whatever. Right. Right. Was I dumb? Well, I I don't want to, I don't want to hold you too much longer, but I, I've been trying to end these with a a question close to my heart, which is what's the last meal that just blew your mind? The last thing that you ate that you still think about occasionally. Oh my God. Um, oh man. Do you know what? Okay. I got two. Uh, cause I feel like I should talk about one and then the other one just came out of nowhere. And again, you can keep oh, yeah. me as long as you want to, because I, as I've mentioned, I can talk for days, but uh, there's two. <laughs> so uh, the most recent one would be my fiance and I went to Japan uh, before the pandemic. We had like mm-hmm. a big kind of like dream trip to Japan. And in Osaka, uh, we had, I love Okonomiyaki, which is like the freshly made pancake with stuff like that. <laughs> and, uh, I just looked up a place. I was like, Osaka, Okonomiyaki, find me a good place. Oh, top, top five stars loads of reviews. Let's go there. Just pick this place out random. We walk in and immediately I was like, oh no, what have I done? It was such a posh, pristine restaurant. It was empty because it must have just opened when we arrived. And they were so polite. I was just like, I feel under, I feel underdressed. Like I, I really don't feel like I should be here. Um, but we were the yeah. only ones there and they were so lovely. The chef, the head chef was just like, ah, oh, welcome come and sit at my table. I was like, okay. We just sat and, and cause the way it is, is the chef is right in front of you when they cook the food. Mm-hmm. And so we just, you know, picked some fairly normal stuff off the menu, but looking through the menu, I was like, oh boy, there's some real pricey stuff on this menu. I really feel like I've made a mistake, <laughs> but then we get into like some other stuff, which was, you know, it was expensive, but it was reasonable. I was like, oh, okay, well let's get this. You know, my, my fiance's yeah. had like a plum wine and she's have she's a bit tipsy and I'm a bit tipsy. And, and we just, it was he just cooked this beautiful okonomiyaki that we had in front of us fresh kind of like lobster and crab and stuff like that all over it. It was just amazing. The whole time we're eating, people start filtering in and it is like government officials and people in like big fancy suits with entourages. And there's me in like a t-shirt and a jacket and jeans. And I'm like, <laughs> and, I, and like they kept looking over and like trying to look at us. And I was like, I really hope they just think that I'm some sort of celebrity. And that's why I'm here. Like I'm, you know, some sort of rich YouTuber or something that's come in so that I don't feel out of place. But the food was just exquisite. It was so rich and just so well made and presented. It was absolutely stunning. Uh, a very unforgettable experience, not just for the food, but this incredibly weird scenario. <laughs> but the other one, the food, uh, the uh, one which blew me away for food that I'll never forget was we took a trip to Florence in Italy. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, beautiful city, regardless. Some amazing food all around it. But as we're walking around, we're doing like visiting all the old buildings and like museums and art galleries and stuff. And we walked down this side street and there was this tiny kind of like hole in the wall sandwich shop. And there was a queue that went down a street, it went down a corner and it continued. And the line just was, it went for so long. And I looked at it and it was all these just, it just looked like, you know, meat sandwiches, like, you know, fresh Serrano Mm -hmm. ham, fresh salami kind of stuff, sandwiches. 
But I was, I just looked at it. I, I turned to my friend. I was like, we have to try it. Look at this queue. I have to try these sandwiches. So we get in the queue and we're, I, we must have waited for like 40 minutes or like 50 minutes or something in the hot weather. Like my fiance's looking at me like, why are you are joking me? Why are we still here? And I was like, I've got to know. Yeah. I've got to know. We get to the front and uh, it's all freshly made uh, for catcher bread, freshly cuts like Serrano ham, freshly cut salami with all these fresh ingredients. And I got something, it was like a garlic truffle uh, spread with like this intensely rich, dark salami and ham in it. I have never, I have never had a sandwich so good. I dreamt about that sandwich to the point where every day after this, after this one sandwich, I was like, I've, I've got to go back. I went back every day. Yeah. It was like five euros. It was so cheap, but I've never had anything so good. We went back every day. And then on the flight home, I remember I just looked at my fiance and went, I'm never going to have that sandwich again. And it's, it's, it's haunted me. It's stuck with me. And it, it's like this little tiny place. Uh, I know that they, I think they had some like posters outside because tom hanks had eaten there when they were filming inferno and they had like the inferno Uh sandwich because tom that's what tom hanks had had or something like that but i just i just remember it was so delicious it was so rich the truffles the garlic and it just blended so well with the salted meat and this fresh for car just thinking about it now i want it again (laughs) oh man if we we had planned a two-week trip to italy with a bunch of my friends Mm. and then the pandemic hit, no. and so we didn't get to go. Uh, but if at some point we're going to replan that, I'm going to message you, and I'm going to ask what that sandwich place was. A hundred percent, message me. I will link you to it. I will never forget it. Um, and it's and the nice thing is, is it's right near uh, all the big nice buildings in Florence as well. So you can go to like the Duomo, and then you go to mm-hmm. I can't remember the other one that we went to, but it's right near there. Florence is honestly one of the best cities I've ever visited. I walking around it, I was like, oh. This is amazing. I just loved it so much. And greatest sandwich ever in the world right there. <laughs> That's fantastic. Do you guys get, uh, do you have good Italian delis in the UK? No. Well, I think you if you go to the right places, um, in Bristol where I am, yeah. there is one good place, um, but it's kind of a little bit out of the ways for us. Um, if you go to somewhere like London, I'm sure that you can get some really good places there. But I just, I love Italian food. Like Italian, Italian food and Japanese food are like my two favorite cuisines and so yeah yeah they really stuck out but like an italian meat sandwich oh i just love it so much that's that's so good when i when i where i grew up in ohio we, yeah in we had pretty solid italian food yeah uh good delis good bakeries good stuff and and utah where i'm at now mm. does not have good <laughs> italian food <laughs> and it's it's a little sad yeah well, cause, and you're like, you're Always big into your barbecues and your meats, right? Like, I oh, know that that's your big thing. Yeah. I see you posting your grills and your smoke joints on the, on smoked, smoked meat joints on Twitter. They look so delicious. That's what I've been trying to get good at cooking myself. Mm. You know, someday I will move on from smoked foods and try to like get into a different type of cuisine, Last but it's drink. kind of like a really good entry level sort of thing to get good at. No. Oh man. So good. I mean, that's, I, I do love like barbecue and smoked food in the U S as well. Like really good U S yeah. barbecue is probably my third. If I, you know, it's Italian, Japanese, really good us barbecue i'm like ah, oh, so good because we don't get that here i tell you that <laughs> i am not a fan yeah. of my country's <laughs> cuisine that's at the bottom of my list is english food i'm like get out fish and chips <laughs> is possible anything else meh 
Um, That's so great. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for hanging out. Thanks for bringing me on. Yeah, super fun to get to chat and hang out. That was content creator Mark Humes. Thanks again to Mark for taking the time to sit down and chat. You can find links to Mark's social media and to High Rollers down in the show notes. You can find me, as always, at brianclellan.com. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash pagebreak or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. Don't forget to like and subscribe. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.